welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Yanya Lalic, PhD, Professor Emerita of Sociology, and an international authority on cults and coercion. Yanya Lalic is also a researcher, author, and educator, and she specializes in the dynamics of recruitment, indoctrination, and coercive methods of influence and control. She is CEO of the nonprofit Lelich Center on Cults and Coercion, and she is the author and or co-author of six books, including the now classic Take Back Your Life, Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationships. Her theoretical work, Bounded Choice, True Believers and Charismatic Cults, and most recently, Escaping Utopia, Growing Up in a Cult, Getting Out and Starting Over. In addition to working with survivors and their families, she leads workshops and educational sessions for government agencies, international intelligence agencies, private companies, educational institutions, nonprofit organizations, and she leads online psychoeducational courses for trauma survivors, families, and mental health professionals. She has also served as a legal witness in civil and criminal legal cases. I welcome Yanya Lalic to Savage Minds. What differentiates a cult from a belief system? When we're looking historically at this, that what many consider to be cults in time possibly could be religions if they become established enough. And I'm thinking of maybe the way that Mormons have been looked at at certain points in society. Certainly the way that certain types of belief systems that were once understood as cults become more mainstreamed also because of the way that cultures change and accept certain kinds of quirks. Every cult has a belief system, um, which I call a transcendent ideology. So what that means is that the belief system of a cult basically promises you everything. It has the answer to everything, the past, the present, and future. And it considers itself the only belief system that's true. There are no other valid belief systems. So if you look at, say, a healthy religion, um, you know, Episcopal Church or even the Catholic Church, uh, the Unitarians, all of those organizations recognize that there are other religions and that people choose whichever religion they want to believe in and go to the services, whatever. Um, But when you have groups that are saying, this is the only way, and I am the leader and I am the only one who can take you there, who can offer this salvation, whatever it may be, it could be spiritual, it could be financial, it could be political, it could be chocolate chip cookies for all I care, right? But the idea is that a cult is a closed system. It's what I call a self-sealing system. It's closed in on itself. And once you're enveloped in that system, you're not allowed to entertain any other belief systems. Um, And so that's what makes something a cult. That's at least part of what makes something a cult. And also, it's important to recognize that not all cults are religious by any means. There's, you know, there's absolutely every type of cult imaginable. There's, you know, UFO cults and therapy cults and karate cults and, you know, political cults, uh, new age wellness cults. I mean, everything. So religion it really isn't at all about religion it's part of it is about an extreme 
belief system. Um, now, yes, over time, some groups that were considered cults uh, have mainstreamed. You know, certainly the Mormons did that very strategically because they wanted to be accepted as a state uh, when they were all, you know, when they got to Utah. And in order to be a state, they were told by the federal government that they had to give up the practice of polygamy. And so they said, okay, we'll give up polygamy, which was very, very central to the Mormon belief system. But it was a strategic decision in order to be accepted. And so in that sense, they kind of mainstreamed, but there are still many characteristics of the Mormon church that are quite cultic. And I have certainly worked with many ex-Mormons who basically considered it a cultic experience. Um, and then, of course, from that, you have many, many, many Mormon offshoots, those groups like the Fundamental Latter-day Saints, the FLDS, with Warren Jeffs, who, who's in prison now uh, for child, child sexual marrying 12-year-olds, right? Um, so it, it's it's important to look at things historically, and if things have mainstream to what extent have they have may have mainstreamed and and have they given up the the really cultic practices a similar thing happened with the hari krishnas uh the hari krishnas were always considered a cult um and when the, the a number of years ago in the 90s there was a class action lawsuit against the hari krishnas because of child sexual abuse and physical abuse at their schools in India that kids were sent to. Um, they ended up settling that suit. But when that happened, the the ones who were in leadership at that time, because the original leader had already died, Prabhupada, um, you know, they paid off people. They basically gave people a thousand dollars under the condition that they would never sue again, um, which some people took that and some didn't was not acceptable to a number of people. But then they did have a powwow and they, you know, decided that they should probably change some things. Um, and some of the people in leadership were for that and some weren't. And so they they did go through some changes. Um, but again, I would say most people in this field do still consider the Hare Krishnas and the and the many again Hare Krishna offshoots as cultic organizations. I asked our listeners for questions. I have never received so many questions in my life, and <laughs> a lot of them flowed over the ones I had already written. And some are well, you'll see. There are some really interesting questions here. I'm just thinking about what you said about the Mormons because that's also very interesting. It's very different from the Jim Jones type of situation where people are growing up in this cult. In fact, those kinds of familial familial slash social cultural cults to me must be more fascinating to study in a sense because these people have no outside. At That's least right. when you, let's say, escape your Catholic family and run off to join the Rielians, there's a, a difference, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, the you know, certainly one sign of a cult is the shunning that happens if you leave, uh, which, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are one group that's really known for that. But but most groups, even the group I was in, which was political, um, if you were expelled, 
you were considered a non-person. And if you saw that person on the street, you had to just walk past them like they were dead. And that's a very common practice among cults. Um, but yeah, for those who grow up in a cult, um, which is the subject of my last book, Escaping Utopia, you know, where I interviewed 68 or 69 individuals who grew up in cults and then left on the, pretty much on their own. And how did they adjust to the, quote, outside world? Um, that that's, a, that's very difficult because often you do have to leave your whole family behind. And you may not know if you have any other relatives out there in the world. I mean, you may have no sense of any resources available to you, which is why there are many suicides and people end up living in the streets and, you know, really terrible tragedies happen uh, because as a society, we have no social services for cult survivors, uh, which is tragic in itself since there are thousands upon thousands of people leaving cults and, and including those who were born and raised in. Certainly my, my family is in Gujarat and at one point, my family jokingly said to me, you should start your own religion. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> but they were saying that it was in the context of the fact that India is rife with guru culture and that has its a very long history of abuse and, and preys upon people, also obviously the poor. And mm -hmm. it's fascinating. Uh, you you would be busy working there because it's it's so pervasive. Yeah, I am. I am here. I am here, too. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Well, what I've was the political I, cult you were in? I'm curious. Um, let me just say say a thing about India and the gurus. Um, the guru, of course, you know, the guru movement became very popular in America, which happened after the 60s when when the United States changed the immigration laws and allowed more Asians into the country, which had been restricted before then because of World War Two. Um, at any rate, the gurus, you know, came charging over here. And of course, the Westerners, us Westerners didn't know shit from Shinola about the guru system or traditions. Um, so there's an excellent book called Karma Kola. I don't know if you've read it. It's a number of years old. Karma Kola. It's by Gita Mehta, M-E-H-T-A. And it really nails it on the head about how the Westerners grasp these Indian gurus, um, and it becomes like Coca-Cola, which is why she calls it Karmacola, um, is just this incredible trend. Um, so I just wanted to get that in there for your listeners. But yes, my the cult I was in was a left-wing political cult. Of course, I didn't know it was a cult when I joined. Um, I was 30 years old. I had already graduated from college. I'd lived in Europe for years. I was well-traveled, smart, whatever. Um, but I was of progressive belief system and I, and it was, uh, kind of just after the Vietnam war and I wanted to help make political change in our country and, you know, have more equality. And so I joined, I was kind of new in town and I met some people and I first got invited to a study group and from there into the background organization and, uh, and, you know, 10, 10 and a half years later, <laughs> my brain was fried. Um, it was a, you know, very restrictive group. Everything was about the leader and for the leader. Um, so, yeah, there's the, that that's sort of how I got into this field, because once I got my brain back together, um, I decided to 
go to grad school, get my PhD and sort of work with survivors and families and help educate the public about this whole phenomenon. Given what's gone on in our society in recent years, I'm going to sort of push the lines here maybe on what you do. But I wanted to ask about cults that traverse IRL in real life and the internet. And I ask you this because I work on one subject that I think this is a applicable domain for, and I'll explain. I am Jazz. I was in a Facebook group, and I was told about this because of my work as a journalist, to go into the Facebook group. I inter- in, infiltrated this Facebook group, which was started by the mother of Jazz Jennings, which has the mother loads of... Jazz Jennings. It's this child who, from a very young age, I believe he was eight, when he was socially and then medically transitioned from being a boy. It's it's the what I call the postmodern circus of our time, where we have made spectacles of these children, but a lot of these parents have been indoctrinated online. There's this kind of ideological capture that is taking place on the internet for these kids and their parents. It's been codified by Lisa Littman as rapid onset gender dysphoria, but even beyond teens and people in their adolescent ages, even 10, 12, even beyond those kids being captured by this ideology online, in the classroom, being told they have to choose a gender, we're seeing this happen amongst adults. And the thing is, I asked Lisa about this, if adults could be caught up in what very much seems to be a trend, uh, even of pressure, because what you described of cults, when you leave them, you are persona non grata, you no longer exist. This has happened. It's happening all the time. You have now detransitioners, people who went on hormone blockers, took crosses hormones and or had various surgeries. They are now coming out of the woodwork. I think soon there will be more of them every year than those who transition, quote unquote, transition, who are saying, I made a mistake. I was brainwashed. And what they describe has all the hallmarks, every single hallmark of being in a cult with the only difference is they're not in the Jamestown compound. They're not in the Branch Davidian compound, but it is happening from their computer out there in the virtual world, and then they bring it back to the physical space of, let's say, their science class, their geography class, if they're in school, it is coming back into their lives where you're seeing kids and all their social circles are trans. This is happening everywhere. It's happening all over the US. I'm sure you've noticed the TV reports on this. If I were a Martian landing on Earth right now, watching our TV shows, I would think there were more people who identify as transgender than women. I throw this out as a question because I really wanted to address this with you. And then when I asked our listeners and readers of the magazine, this was obviously one of the top questions. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm certainly aware of uh, this phenomena. Um, It's around all of us all the time. I have friends who, you know, have family members who've gone, who young children have transitioned or are about to. I, you know, I'm 78 years old, almost, and I I try not to be an old (laughs) fuddy-duddy, so I try to 
keep an open mind and not just say, well, you know. Um, but I do believe, you know, I think there are two things. There are genuine transgender people, genuine people who transition, who need to transition, who aren't doing it because they're encouraged by some current fad that's going on, right? Um, and I and I know a number of transgender people, um, you know, and have known for years. Um, I certainly saw the beginnings of this when I when I was teaching at the university. You know, I retired in 2019, but my last few years there, it was very obvious, kind of like what you said, it was almost like women and feminism was kind of disappearing. Um, we had a women's center for years and the, the name had to be changed to the Sex and Gender Equality Center. Um, and, you know, more and more young women were dressing and looking like young men and starting to take hormones. And um, and so I try to be very cautious in my my statements about this, but I do believe that it's a very dangerous ideological trend. Um, it, it is that kind of all or nothing belief system that I talked about earlier. And I do see it sweeping across our country and as you say, other countries. I mean, I once had a, a, an Indian uh, filmmaker wanted to, you know, do a documentary about this and, you know, had wanted me to be in the documentary and that, and this was also happening in India. And, and this was like, I think two years ago, I think. So it is, a, it is a difficult issue. It, it, I think it is, like I said, I think it is a dangerous trend. Um, taking hormones is no joke. You know, once you start taking them, it, it can really mess you up if you suddenly go off. Um, you know, it has a lot of psychological and obviously physical consequences and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what can be done about it other than trying to, you know, speak reason. Um, yet, you know, we saw the same, we see the same thing with QAnon and, and the anti-vaxxer movement, like these ideological movements that arose on the internet uh, during the pandemic and just became huge. Uh, and so this is this is very similar to that. And it's often very difficult to have rational conversations. As you said, people lose friends. Um, yeah, it's a it, it, it's definitely it's definitely a phenomenon that we need to keep an eye on. When I think about my own background, um, I was very, very much a tomboy. I mean, I was like I basically, you know, my I had a sister who was very handicapped from polio, and my mother essentially had to spend all her time taking care of her and taking her to appointments, et cetera. My parents were divorced, which was very rare back in the 50s. And I basically grew up with my brother and, you know, played softball with the guys and all that kind of stuff and jumped over fences. And I was a super tomboy. I would, I, I, my mother would have to beg me to wear a dress on Mother's Day, right? And I only wore boys shoes and I had a little toughy jacket. And, and I swear, I, I say this all the time, if I were alive today, if that were me today, I'd probably be transitioning. But I know that in my mind, I never really wanted to be a boy. I just enjoyed 
being that way because my brother was kind of like, you know, the superstar from, from, for my father and got everything. And I was just far more comfortable that way. Of course, years later, I came out as a lesbian. So that was probably the, that was my transition, <laughs> but it, it does. I think about that all the time. Like what, what if this were me today, what, what would I be doing? Well, Yanya, many women say this, whether they're gay, straight, what have you. And like you, I've known people in, in that past of when it was once in a blue moon, you'd meet someone who claimed to be transsexual. It was called then. Right. And my thoughts on all this have changed, I have to tell you now, because I've, I've, and I do, I have friends who identify as such and they're lovely people, but they never once threaten to this or that me or write my boss or have me fired. This is happening today. I don't know if you fo followed the case of Maya Forstater, uh, if you followed the case of, of um, so many people in the UK who've had to challenge this from being a, a lecturer at Oxford, having to have bodyguards to assist her into class, that's wow. Selena Todd, or uh, my go goodness, what's just happened for the nth time with Kelly J. Keene, a woman's a rights activist in the UK who just last week had the police pop over again. It's constant with her. They're going over to her house and questioning her because she says that men are not women or, and this will not surprise you what I'm about to say, just the other month, she referred to pedophiles uh, as nonces. It's a British reference. And I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. I've only read it. And what's happening with pedophilia is is alarming because it's becoming normalized such that if you say nonce or pedophile now that's offensive because we need to call them minor attracted persons MAP. no no yes, this is beginning to happen yes and this has been rearing its head one of the major child gender advocacy groups in the uk mermaids found that uh, one of its governors was advancing this at his day job at the London School of Economics. And this eventually he had to step down, but a lot of people said, oh, this is just an anomaly. It's actually not. The more I start to look into the gender crowds as they are, um, you find a lot of this kind of sexualizing of children. It's and it's interesting to see the way that they're painted in some of the newspapers, like the Washington Post and New York Times will make the critics of Drag Time Story Hour as if they're homophobes, they're just not into it. And people are saying, no, a, a lot of people criticizing this are in fact lesbians and gay men. They're just saying this is right. not the place for kids should not be sexualized, first of all. And this is not the place for children to be treated in a way that is undeserving of their childhood I mean there's a time for them to know about sex and sexuality and it's not when they're four and five and there's a lot of legitimate cri criticism of what's gone on but it has become so penetrated within all of the institutions private public policymakers government even churches I mean you saw what happened and I don't know if you saw what happened with the Church of England but even there the whole trans narrative has been so adopted that a woman who says that lesbians don't have penises or I'm a lesbian, I don't want to sleep with someone with a penis, they are, again, removed from polite society. They are threatened to have their job 
removed. And this is something that's gone on for the last decade. I've been witnessing this, but it's reached a critical moment now with what's happened in Scotland over the past month since Sturgeon did not want to accede very reasonable demands that no men could not be placed in women's prisons uh, if they were rapists, if they, you know, no, she just put her foot down and that's sort of been her undoing. They're calling this, they're comparing what she's done to Margaret Thatcher's poll tax, which is what un, undid her power hold at the time. Now, this idea that people can be so gripped by anti-science beliefs, whether mm -hmm. or not we have friends who are trans, the reality is that my old school trans friends know that they have not changed sex. They know this. They, they, they don't actually believe they can give birth. But if you were to put into your Google search engine, a transgender woman giving birth, you'll find a lot of people who talk about it. Oh, you have videos of men showing you how to use a tampon. They claim they menstruate. They claim they have a cervix. There was a, a critique, um, a crit not a critique, I'm sorry, a complaint made to the NHS apparently by a man who wanted to be given a pap smear, what they call <laughs> you know, it, it. It's ridiculous on the one hand, but it's alarming on the other when you're seeing women losing their livelihoods over this, when you're seeing police rock up to your door and threaten you with uh, a questioning for hate speech or mm -hmm. hate crimes, as they're called, and they're recorded. So what... <sighs> This isn't the actual type of cult that you worked you work on, but this is a more of a a passive cult where you sit in your living room and you belong to it by virtue of social media, and you meet up with these people to protest the turfs trans exclusionary radical feminists who are speaking at this venue tonight, and we're going to go and we're going to peaceably demonstrate. Mm -hmm. What can you say about this? Because to me, aside from the lack of a geographical, let's say den or a lodge where they all live and share communal space the rest of it is culty yes uh, how and, do you and, oh also i want to add how, how do you explain the fact that science is gone science like they're teaching <laughs> in medical schools all over north america that now humans are not sexually dimorphic that they can be anywhere under this rainbow of sex when you and i both know one sex gives birth that's it and and then when you say that to this crowd, they say, oh, not all women have a vagina. Not, I mean, they point to that 0.003% of a person who was born with a birth defect minus a uterus or minus a vagina or the whatever syndrome that is typically called intersex, but there are many types of intersex, blah, blah, blah. And you cannot argue with these people. It's as if they have plopped out of a fairy tale book and they just want to say the emperor has beautiful clothes on. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is very much like a cult. I mean, when, first of all, with what I now call the run of the mill cults or the brick and mortar cults, um, not everybody lives together. I mean, that that's, you know, yes, some cults do have compounds and everybody lives on the compound, but those are actually the minority. I mean, most cults are spread around. People live wherever in their houses, maybe with other cult members, but not all together. So that's, you know, that's a myth we should get rid of. But 
Yeah, this is what I was saying earlier. This this phenomena of the sort of internet cults um, that's that's happened during the pandemic with with QAnon and and the anti-vaxxer movement, and now this it's all anti-science, which is a long-standing trend since the New Age movement, sort of this poo-pooing of Western medicine and Western science, but it has gone to an extreme now. And I think what happens is people feel that same sense of community, that same sense of belonging that that people in the run-of-the-mill cults feel. It's like they've now found their community, they have this new language, they all love bomb each other, they get very defensive, they go off on protests together, and so that may be their kind of physical connection whenever that happens. But yeah, they're they're kind of like in a cult of one, but with a widespread membership um, across the world at this point. And, you know, what do we do about it? I don't know. I mean, I I wish I had the magic bullet, but I don't. And I think that all we can do is keep trying to educate. Sounds like what you do. And try to have conversations if we can, Um, try to support the people who are not falling for this while at the same time supporting people who are genuinely wanting to transition. Um, Because that's one of my fears is that, you know, those people who in the past, as we knew as transsexual, you know, kind of get lost in this shuffle what kind of person is more susceptible to joining a cult such that they would, as a lesbian, put out there the idea that I'm? it's a contradictory narrative. On the one hand, she says she's a lesbian. On the other hand, she's saying lesbians have penises, right? <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I mean, in terms of cults, you know, there certainly is no one personality type or single profile. I mean, what what I've learned over the years, I mean, I've been doing this like 35 years, is that, you know, the, the common denominator is idealism. It's, it's, it's like people who want to change something about the world or themselves and, and, and want a better world or a better family or better whatever. Um, and that's who gets attracted to somebody who offers some kind of solution to that at, at just at the right or wrong moment in their life. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's also a bit ironic because it's never been it's never been great to be a woman in our society. I mean, we're we're we've always been kind of second class citizens. And now you have this movement where. <laughs> men are wanting to be women but of course it also goes the other way uh, you know there's a there's a cult i don't know if you've heard of the twin flames universe but this is a cult uh headquartered in america where they it's mostly online and they promise you your um your twin flame your soulmate forever and they they of course recruited primarily young women in their 20s and 30s and um and then they ended up with too many women. So now they're telling them to transition to be men. So they're putting some of these women together in couples and saying, you're really a man. And they start giving them hormones and they start having the surgeries. And it's absolutely tragic because in a way it's like glomming onto this movement 
but it's also taking people who never ever in their lives, you know, women who never ever dreamed of being the other sex are having to transition. And um, it's really difficult for the families. It's, it's, it's just such a, such an abusive system. I've never heard of this, the Twin Flames universe. Twin Flame, look them up, Twin Flames universe. It's a couple in Michigan um, and they and people take these online courses for thousands of dollars. And then the people also go and live where they live and do free labor for them. And it, it's they have followers all over the world, Australia, wherever. And um, it's just horrendous. It's horrendous. And you have these families, you know, it's like I actually know some moms whose daughters are now transitioning and, you know, taking on a man's name, growing beards, the whole thing. And it's just, it's just devastating. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. In related to this, I see a trend to make political positions, such as trans women are women, into personal identities. This puts the political position beyond question as to challenge how it becomes attacking someone's identity. So what what happens all the time around this issue online is if you say, I accept that men wear dresses, I accept that men want to even get cosmetic surgery and change their names, what have you. What I am objecting to is that you tell me, I must say there are women, I don't agree. It's inevitably that you're attacking their identity and or you want to kill them. So how does the accelerating formation of new identity claims play into the widespread adoption of unquestionable beliefs? And how do we effectively counteract this? (laughs) You ask me these impossible questions. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of our readers. (laughs) Well, thank you, reader. (laughs) Think of how rich I'd be if I knew the answer to that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I mean, all we can do is keep trying to educate. I mean, what else can we do? I mean, if we get the state involved, then you've got, you know, then you're bordering on censorship and all kinds of other things. Um, Although, as you say, the authorities are involved, but on on the opposite end. Well, that's the paradox is that these groups are the authoritarians. And it's it's quite alarming to me. Just recently, what we discovered within Biden administration about he was basically trying to create a, a Politburo only to find out that, well, he started it and then it, it collapsed on itself because we have bigger fish to fry, such as the ideological Politburo that's happening not within the government, but amongst the people who mm-hmm. are saying, you don't believe like me, I'm calling your boss. Ah. Mm-hmm. But I think this reader was wondering if the new formations might have a different social reaction in the sense of, is it faster to extinguish or do they tend to burn more brightly at first? These kinds of cults that manifest just like trans women are women. And if you do not reaffirm this, 
you will get torn apart on social media. Well, I think today, because of the prevalence of social media, things happen really fast and, and they can happen really big. And, and I think that's why this has gotten so, I don't know, out of control, if you want to say. I mean, it's just, you know, today you can communicate, you know, with anyone all over the world and people can glom onto these movements and, and, and it becomes huge. Uh, and, and that's, you know, it's like such a different world from the world I grew up in, you know, <laughs> where we played the telephone game, you know, but I mean, it's, you know, it's really this, you know, it's like a, it, it's like a cult mindset that's become a popular trend that has that is now gaining social acceptance and that's what's becoming a little bit harmful or quite a bit harmful um and i mean the only thing i can think of somewhat similar was the um the red scare in the 50s and the mccarthy movement here in the united states where you know everybody was accusing their neighbors of being communists and people lost their jobs and families broke up and people jumped out of buildings. And, you know, there was a, a horrible, horrible effect on that, on, on the population during that time in the fifties. But, um, and that was kind of led by one guy, you know, MacArthur, and he, um, you know, he eventually got ousted and, and the movement dwindled, but, yeah, it's, I don't know. Now you're making me really depressed. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> well, tell us, what is missing from someone's life that makes them join a cult? And how, if at all, does recognizing this help with deprogramming? Well, it, it's not that something's missing from someone's life. It's that, it's that, all of us have these vulnerable moments, right? Where we, where we're maybe a little bit sad or a little bit off centered. And it could be because it's raining outside, or it could be because your dog just died, or you just graduated college and you don't know what to do. I mean, there's a million reasons why we have these vulnerable moments, which is not any kind of sickness. These are natural human responses. And also as humans, you know, we're social animals, right? So we want we want a pack, right? We want a family. We want a community. We want to have meaning in life. So you put this together with being in some moment when somebody invites you to something or you see something on the internet. And at that moment, you say, yeah, that sounds good. I'll try that. I'll look into that. And then the people who who are recruiters or who run these movements, they're very good at sucking you in further and further right they know how to what we call love bomb love bomb you make you feel great like oh you found this new family everything's wonderful um so it's not like anything's wrong with people i mean if if that were true you know you have an entire world of of mentally ill dysfunctional people it's like regular people smart intelligent whatever all kinds of people get into these things because it's something just comes along at the right moment. And, you know, it's not necessarily something lacking in their life. I mean, you can have the, I've worked with families who are the wealthiest families in America down to, you know, less well-to-do poor 
ethnic families, you know, where somebody gets involved in a cult. It's not about that. It's about just running into something at the wrong time. And, and the more we, I think the more we can educate about these things, which, which is why I do all the podcasts and the documentaries and write books and do everything I can to try to get people to be better consumers, you know, to, to, to research these things, to, to look to science, you know, to look to reputable sources. Um, people are so quick. I mean, I think that's another phenomenon that came out of the new age movement is like, everybody's kind of looking for a quick fix. And so something sounds good and boom, they jump right into it, you know, rather than taking time and checking it out and questioning and questioning and seeing if your questions are really answered. Um, but when you've got a movement like this, I mean, it's so sweeping and it's so trendy and it's just gotten so much traction. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a long time before we're able to really sort this one out. Well, when you mentioned the Twin Flames universe, you said they ran out of men. And I'd asked you earlier if women are more prone to join cults. Do you know if there's any data on this? Well, I, I mean, I think it's pretty much 50, 50 percent men, men and women. Uh, I think although women in our society, despite all the gains of the women's movement, I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, women are still regarded as sort of second class citizens and, and, and doubting themselves a lot and not respected in the same way as men are and don't get the good jobs as much as men do. And so there's always that. I think a lot of women have that sense like they should be better, they should look better, they should lose weight, they should buy this kind of makeup, they should, you know, it, it's like the culture that we're raised in teaches us not to really be discerning, but to think there's something wrong with us and that we need to change ourselves. So I think in that sense, women are perhaps more susceptible. Um, the good news is, when women when women and men leave cults women are far more likely to to search for recovery resources and deal with what happened to them where men often leave and 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 just shut it down and don't don't address it and then years later it tends to erupt because that's the way men are raised you know not to deal with their emotions so and is there a typical trajectory of people who leave when someone is in a cult, what prompts them to actually leave it? I'm, th I'm thinking of them on their own, not interventions by people coming to get them. Okay, yeah. So um, my view on this is that everybody who's in a cult or in some kind of extreme belief system, especially if there's authoritarian leadership, um, the, everybody has doubts but you're in a situation where you're not able to express those doubts because you'll get disciplined in some way, or you'll get kicked out, which is like the worst thing that could happen to you, or you get, you know, punished, whatever. So you have these doubts that you can't express. So you kind of, the way I use this metaphor of the shelf in the back of the head, you kind of store all these things on the shelf in the back of your head. And one day, something will happen like one too many things will happen or you'll observe or whatever it is and and it and that shelf will break and then when that shelf breaks 
the person doesn't necessarily see they're in a cult, but they might start to think there's something wrong here. Like maybe this is not the best thing for me. Maybe this is not really in my interest. And then hopefully they'll try to work their way out of it. And that depends, of course, on the group and the restrictions and their resources on the outside. Um, and that's why I say to people, if you've got someone in a situation like that, never cut them off. Try, always try to stay in contact. And the best thing you can do is kind of try to plant seeds on that shelf, like help help that shelf get heavy. So you don't want to do it by confronting, but you want to do it by, I think, by by tugging at people's heartstrings, right? Remind them of good times together, send them little postcards or send them gifts of their favorite cookies, you know, whatever it might be, but something that'll reawaken that original self, the, the pre-brainwashed self, if you want to use that term, which I don't like to use that term, but anyway, um, you know, so the so the best thing you can do is like always make yourself available to be that safe haven if somebody wants to leave. Like, as as we talked about earlier, leaving is one of the hardest things because you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose everything you believed in. You're going to lose all these friends, people, this family, whatever. It's a very, very, very scary and courageous thing to do. So if you know there's a place you can go where people aren't going to criticize you, they aren't going to question you, they're just going to let you sleep if you want to sleep. They're going to feed you. They're not going to say, see, I told you so. They're just going to let you recoup you know um that's the best thing you can do as someone who's not in a cult and what do you say to parents if their child is in a cult what are they to do uh, they're to do what i just said they they i mean again it's it'll depend um you know sometimes the family can you know it's important it depends on the cult and it depends how long the person's in. It depends how old they are, what their background is. Um, if the family has money, you know, you want to protect your money so it doesn't go to the cult. I mean, you know, you could die tomorrow and then is your kid going to inherit a bunch of money that they're then going to give to some fake guru. So sometimes it's important to take those precautions. Um, but the, the main, and, and, the other thing I, I suggest is people play different roles, you know, like if you have the mom could be the soft cop and the dad could be the hard cop, you know, or maybe there's an old school friend or an aunt, you know, was this person's favorite aunt, you know, ways that different people in in that social circle can help help communicate and, you know, try to draw the person out. Are there types of personalities or types of upbringings that are more likely to lead to individuals being drawn into a cult? Well, I think the wealthy are more likely to be drawn in. I think a lot of wealthy people feel guilty about their money. Um, and and so sometimes they're easy easier to manipulate. I mean, if you look at, for example, uh, the cult here in America, the Nexium cult with Keith Raniere, you know, he recruited the Bronfman sisters who were the heiresses to the Seagram liquor uh, millions, billions. And, and, you know, they, they gave him mil literally millions of dollars and still support him even from prison. 
Um, so I think wealthy people are susceptible in that way um, and are easily guilt-tripped and easily manipulated. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've worked with so many different families, you know, from the closest family to the most dysfunctional family. I mean, it 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 really doesn't seem to matter. Um, it, it really, it, you know, every every kind of person can end up in a cult. It just like I was saying earlier, if it's the if it's that right moment and something comes along, sweeps you up. Well, a lot of the cults that I know of tend to be, and I'm speaking of the ones that came about when I was a child and a, and a teenager, tended to be with the person who had a lot of charisma, like Jim Jones. Mm -hmm. Now, with what I described just over gender. And I imagine there's many more where the internet has a place there. Then there's less access to that kind of charisma because charisma is something, I guess it can be transmitted via media, internet, camera, what have you, but it is something also personable. Have you studied any kinds of cults that take place over the internet, aside from the ones you've already mentioned, that might indicate on the horizon that we might be facing much more of this if we don't get control of how we use the internet? Well, let me say first about charisma because most people don't understand charisma. Uh, charisma is not something that somebody is born with. It's not an inherent trait. Charisma is actually a social relationship. And what I mean by that is you are the person who deems that someone is charismatic, right? It's you who believes that that person is charismatic. And that's what gives that person power. So it becomes a relationship of an imbalance of power. Because once you decide that someone is charismatic, then they have power over you because you think they're special. So it's not necessarily these, you know, charming John Kennedys or, you know, whoever in our minds we might think of as charismatic. But it's really, it's why, you know, you and I could go to something with some guru or some coach or some somebody and everybody else is ooing and eyeing and you and I might look at each other and say, oh my God, you know, phony is a $3 bill. It's, it's an individual thing, right? Um, so I, I just wanted to clarify that. But in, in terms of the internet, I mean, I, you know, I, I the only way that that we've been able to ever bring cults down, so to speak, is when they can get caught with real criminal behavior. You know, so that's what happened with Nexium and Keith Raniere. It happened with the Sarah Lawrence cult and Larry Ray. It happened with uh, uh, Alamo, the Alamo Foundation, um, the church in LA, La Luz del Mundo. I mean, if they commit crimes of, you know, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, um, tax evasion, you know, laundering money, whatever. Those are the ways we can get them, which is why I tell people when they leave, if you have any documents, if you have anything, hold on to it. You might not want to look at it right now, but it might come in handy one day. Um, and 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 some of these cult leader, leaders are, are so self-centered um, and think they're above the law that they record everything, you know. Uh, so then you've got these recordings of them actually saying these things that, that in court they can't say, I didn't say that. You know, there they are on camera saying it. Um, 
<laughs> but it's, you know, it's difficult to think about ways to, to get rid of them. I think cults are always going to be here and, and, and all we can do is try to be more savvy and help educate each other about it. I'm jumping back to the gender thing because it's, it made me think over the years, you've got a lot of lawsuits happening towards the NHS right now where kids who were told they were born in the wrong body are saying, hey, you did me wrong. Now, I think it's much larger than this, much, much larger. And you see it every time you turn on your TV, you have Don Lemon almost crying over the fact that a feminist said that a man was a man. And I'm thinking, wait a sec, we are in a collective madness right now on the level that I do not think we have seen in centuries, honestly. I mean, this is really serious. When I start to scratch the surface on the gender issue, it doesn't matter where I'm aiming my my microphone. I speak to people who have lost jobs in academia. I see people who've been kicked out of, like it's called girl guides in the UK, like Girl Scouts. There are people who are afraid. I get emails. Oh, for 10 years, I've got emails from gay men, gay men who are the richest demographic out of all the demographics, right? And they are saying they're afraid to say anything, but go girl, we like your writing. And I'm like, well, open your mouth. And some of them are performers. Some of them are just simply afraid to lose their jobs because this is the hill that you die on. And so I don't think it's just Jazz Jennings parents. I think it's a whole industry that has been pushing mm -hmm. this. And in a way, I mean, this is, you know, uh, my leftist critique, but in a way, I think capitalism has has brought us here where we mm. see this in, you know, there have been films that have critiqued this, uh, the whole idea of Jerry Maguire or the idea is we're, we're selling what is the product and it is ourselves at the end of the day. But when that selling of ourselves becomes at the risk of young kids or at the risk of eviscerating mm -hmm. lesbian populations and saying you don't matter. And now, different from the 1970s when almost everyone going to these clinics were men, today it's mostly females. You have females trying to escape misogyny, social, structural, familial misogyny by just saying, I'm the other sex. And we are mm -hmm. not seeing this seriously addressed because it is being pushed by the quote unquote leftist media. I do not believe MSNBC is left at all. Honestly, I'm a, I am a leftist. These are neoliberal media that have sold this as the hill for them to die on. So I just wonder if we could ever speak about cults as not just being what you've mostly worked on, these groups of five or 500 people, but maybe something much bigger or, or can society be caught up in a cult-like trance. Well, I, I think you're right. I think we are caught up in a cult-like trend. Um, and, and, and it's unfortunate that people who speak out are, you know, being harassed or stalked or losing, you know, losing their jobs or fear of losing their jobs. I mean, yeah. I mean, as I said earlier, the closest thing I can think of is the McCarthy era, but you know, this is, this is, way in a way way worse although we did the same thing then you know kids in school were taught about the dirty communists and red china and all that bomb shelters so i don't know how we got out of that one actually so maybe we should look back historically at that